The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at www.harmonybible.org. Well, good morning. Welcome once again to Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping Him. Today being Flag Day, you may be wondering why we did the Pledge of, of Allegiance. And really the beautiful thing about... Um, about uh, Flag Day is remembering God's grace, that ultimately God has bestowed just amazing grace on us as a people and on this country because of the fact that so many have known Him and, and we have, uh, so many have sought to honor Him. Uh, I just ask that you would pray for our land and that ultimately we remember the words of Scripture that says that we must humble ourselves, that we must turn toward God and we must live our lives in such a way that we are seeking His face. And then... Once we have done so, then He will heal our land. So I'd ask you to, to continue to pray toward that end and live to that end. So it's appropriate that today we talk about a life of obedience from Colossians 2. Before we begin, I just want to open with a word of prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace in our lives. God, I pray that we would live in such a way that we are seeking to honor You. And God, I pray and ask that You'd be with us now. God, help us to worship You in spirit and in truth. God, I pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world today, that they too would worship You in spirit and in truth. God, I pray and ask that You would work mightily in their midst as You work mightily in ours. God, we pray and ask that You would just do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God, we claim Your promise now that You will build Your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians. And I've said numerous times we're going to work our way through Colossians in third gear. And then I said we're going to park for a while. And then I said we're going to get back into third gear. I don't know what gear we're in at this point. I just know that we're going to continue to work our way through the book of Colossians at a pace that seems to make sense. Today we're going to be looking at Colossians 2, but before we do that, I just want to give you just some background of where we've been so far. Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae, and we don't know all the details of what was going on in Colossae, but it seems like there's some false teachers who are coming in and saying that the church needs more than Jesus. Not that Jesus is is not okay, Jesus is fine, but that they need more than Jesus. That Jesus is not sufficient. So Paul writes this letter to the church encouraging them to stand firm in Christ. To stand firm in the Gospel and trust that Jesus is enough. So with that background, let's look at Colossians 2, verses 6-7. through If you'll all stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of his word. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul begins this section with the word, therefore. Thus, it's a continuance of what he's been saying in the previous verses. So if you remember last week, as we looked at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2, 
we saw that Paul was burdened to see the church thinking biblically. He said, I have a burden for you. I want to see you thinking biblically. I want to see you growing together. And I want to see you experience the blessing of knowing Christ more intimately. And he says, I want to see this so that you remain strong and steadfast in your trust in Christ. So now in verses 6-7, through he continues along the same theme. And he does so by saying, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, last week was, I'm burdened to see you living in light of the Gospel and to stay strong in your faith. And then this week he says, Therefore, since you have received Christ Jesus as the Lord, walk in Him. Remain in Him. So I'm burdened to see you remain. I know that you've received Him, so therefore, remain. Stay strong. Continue in Him. In other words, he says, I desire to see you live in obedience to Christ. Therefore, since you began that way, continue to do so. You began in obedience, so continue in obedience. Now before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want to examine verse 6 a little bit more closely. Notice that in verse 6, Paul says, You have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And he doesn't say say it the way he normally does. Normally he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here he says, you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. And this might seem like a minor difference, but it's undoubtedly intentional. And it's evidenced by the fact that this is the only place in all of the epistles, all of his epistles, where he does this. What, he's, what is he seeking to accomplish by changing this wording this way? Well, he's stressing the fact that Jesus is the Lord. Thus, he refers to him as Christ, the, the Messiah, the Savior, right? Jesus, the one who is the Lord, is what he's saying. Christ Jesus, the one who is the Lord. You see, Paul knows that the false teachers in Colossae, they're adding to the gospel of Christ. And they're diminishing Christ at the same time. So he's stressing the fact that Jesus is unique, that Jesus is all-sufficient. He's stressing that Jesus is enough. You see, Jesus is not just a Lord. He is the Lord. And Paul doesn't want them to be tempted to think that anyone can receive Jesus as their Savior without receiving Him as their Lord. See, I, don't think, I think this is actually a common problem in our churches today where people begin to think that, that somehow they can receive Jesus as their Savior, but not their Lord. There seems to be this idea that, that exists that saying a prayer or walking an aisle means you've, you've received Jesus as your Savior. I remember meeting with a guy one time and I, I was talking to him about his sin and the punishment for sin. And I, as I began to talk to him, I said, do you know the Lord? And he said, no. And I said, have you ever sinned? We, we walked through that process where he began to feel conviction for his sin. And I said, do you know what Christ did for you? And I shared the Gospel with him. And then he said, oh yeah, 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 I did that. I did that. I think I was six or I was eight or whatever he said. Right? I did that once. You see, there's this idea that somehow walking an aisle or saying a prayer means that we have received Jesus as our Savior. That We've been saved from the penalty of our sin. But then, we're free to go about our lives and do as we choose. You see, it's this idea that somehow we can add Jesus to our lives. That I can continue on my way, Jesus comes along, I can pick up Jesus and take Him along with me on my way. 
But that's not what Scripture speaks of. Scripture says, and this is exactly what happened in my life, I was going my way, and Jesus picked me up, turned me around, and said, you're going this way now, young man. And that is what happens when we receive Christ as Savior and Lord. You see, one is adding Jesus to our lives, the other is repenting and following Jesus, going the direction He would have us go. So Paul's point is that He is the Lord. So if you reject Him as Lord, you've rejected Him. You've actually created an idol. You've said, I will make a God to suit myself. I don't like Jesus, therefore I'll create a Jesus, I'll create an idol to suit myself. One that wants to go my way instead of having me go His way. If you look at Acts 2 and Peter's sermon in Acts 2, verse 36, Peter makes this pretty clear about Jesus being Lord and Savior. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Or Philippians 2, verses 9-11, through God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, so that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. John 13, 13, Jesus Himself said, You call Me Teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. You see, many would call what I'm talking about here Lordship Salvation. However, I prefer to call it Salvation. It's more appropriate that we call it salvation. The idea that you can receive Jesus as your Savior and not your Lord is completely absurd and unbiblical. Now, what I'm not saying here, please do not misunderstand, because I want to make sure there's no misunderstanding. I'm not saying that we must perfectly submit to His Lordship in order to be saved. We don't perfectly submit to His Lordship. I know I don't perfectly submit to His Lordship, and I'm growing in submitting to His Lordship by His grace. I love the way John Piper explains it in a quote. He says this, quoting Romans 14, 7-8. He says, In Romans 14, 7-8, Paul says, None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we are to live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And then he says, notice the phrase, none of us. There is no group of Christians who do not live to the Lord. We may do it imperfectly and haltingly, but to belong to the Lord is to live to the Lord. See, being a Christian means living to the Lord. So while we do it imperfectly and haltingly, I know I, I, know I do, I don't, I don't always do it well. If we say, I accept Jesus as my Savior, but I'm not submitting to His Lordship, then we've rejected the real Jesus, the one who is God. The one who is the Lord. You see, we may not fully understand the implications of His being Lord. I certainly did not. I remember when I was a new believer, and I thought I was a pretty good guy who had a little bit of sin that I needed to repent of, and the Lord could just clean up some rough edges a little bit. And little did I know that He kept... He kept confronting me with more and more and more things. Even this morning, as I'm finishing the final touches on my sermon, I'm going, the Lord speaks to me almost in an audible voice, not an audible voice, but in an almost audible voice, and said, did you remember what you preached last week? 
Did you apply any of it? I'm praying that you would hear this message, that you would apply it, and the Lord says to me, did you apply last week's message? You see, I'm continually placing myself in submission to His Lordship. I don't fully understand all the implications of what that means now. I certainly didn't when I was saved. I don't now. But I'm growing in that. But I know this, that we cannot reject Him as Lord. That if we say, no, you are not Lord, then He is not our Savior. So Paul says, you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. So now walk in Him. In other words, live in obedience to Him. And that's it. That's the message. Live in obedience to Him. As as Nike says it, just do it. Right? Well, fortunately, Paul doesn't leave us to our own devices, and neither does God. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He shows us how walking in obedience can be done. He says in our text, As you have received received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. He says, just as, so walk in Him in this way, just as you were instructed. And in saying that, he's pointing them back to the Gospel. How were these Colossian believers to walk in Him? They were to walk in Him just as they had been instructed. Just as they had received Jesus the Lord. By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith in Christ. In other words, Paul's reminding them that not only have they been saved by grace through faith, but also that they will be sanctified, that they will walk in Him, they will obey Him by grace, through faith. So with that, let's look at our first point in our sermon outline. The first point is an obedient life involves being, number one, rooted in Christ. Number one, rooted in Christ. We're doing pretty good on time, folks. An obedient life involves being rooted in Christ. The term, having been firmly rooted in the Greek, is in the perfect tense passive voice. Right? So passive refers to the fact that they didn't complete the action. Passive says they weren't the ones doing the action, but that the action was outside of them. That God was doing the action, the planting. That they were the recipients of the action. It's the difference of... Um, Uh, throwing a ball versus having a ball thrown at you, that they were recipients of the action. They had been rooted. That God firmly planted them. And the perfect refers to the fact that it happened in the past. Once and for all. That it happened in the past, once and for all. But it has ongoing ramifications. has ongoing ramifications for both the present and the future. In other words, God in the past firmly planted them. Therefore, they will remain rooted in the future. This makes me think of the parable of the sower and the seed. If you think of Matthew 13, the parable of the sower and the seed, starting in verse 3, Jesus said, it says, And he, Jesus, spoke to them in parables, and Jesus said, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, 
some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then in verse 18, he goes on to explain the parable to his disciples. They say, why do you speak in parables? And he, he says, let me explain this parable to you. He says in verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word, doesn't say he understands it, he hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself. No firm root. But he is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who has been firmly rooted, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. You see, he's been firmly rooted. The seed that falls on the good soil has once and for all been firmly rooted and will continue to bear fruit. You see, Paul is reminding the Colossians of Christ's perfect sacrifice. Once and for all. Just as Peter did in 1 Peter 3.18 when he said, For Christ died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. You see, salvation is a gift. It's a gift given by God. A gift that is perfect and all-sufficient. That's why Hebrews 10 talks about the Old Testament sacrifices that were offered year after year. And it says the priests, they continue to come and they continue to offer them, but they couldn't remove guilt But then the author says, but we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, once for all. For by one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You see, that's the Gospel. That we could not make ourselves right. That no sacrifice we could ever make would atone for our sin. But that God came in the flesh and died in our place. That Jesus died, taking our place, atoning for our sin, paying our sin debt. Scripture is clear. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We violated God's law. And that we then need to trust in Christ Jesus, who is Lord. See, it's not adding Jesus to our lives. It's instead placing trust in Jesus. And if you're part of my Sunday school class, you know we talk about the parachute analogy all the time. But it's more than putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and just just walking around with the Lord Jesus. It's stepping out of the plane. The bad news is that all have sinned. The plane is going down, folks. And we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and step out of the plane. Place our trust in Jesus Christ like we would trust in a parachute. Instead, I think too often the message of the Gospel is... Put on Jesus Christ and walk around with Him and ride the plane down. No, you need to trust in Jesus. Jesus who is Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So having an obedient life involves, number one, being rooted in Christ. 
You need to have His perfect, once and for all, sacrifice applied to your sin debt. You need to be saved. Which, by the way, is a gift of grace through faith. Not in and of yourselves. Nothing that you have done, but what He has done. So next we see that an obedient life involves growing in Christ. Having seen that an obedient life involves being rooted in Christ, next we see that it involves growing in Christ. Paul continues on after saying, having been firmly rooted, to say, and now being built up. So you were firmly rooted, now you're being built up. This time Paul uses the present tense and the passive voice. So it's present tense, passive voice. It's still passive, like before, meaning that the work is outside of them, that God is doing the work, but it's present tense, which describes an action that is happening now. In other words, God is currently continuing to grow them. God is currently growing them. Acts 20, verse 32 says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is the gospel, which is able to build you up. Which is able to build you up. And to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In other words, just as we are saved by grace through faith, so also do we grow by grace through faith. And then Colossians 2.19 instructs us to hold fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with a growth which is in ourselves, right? No, which is from God. It grows with a growth that comes from God. God is the one growing us and He's doing it now. 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one causing the growth. God was the one. God was causing the growth. Or if you've been here more than 10 minutes, you've probably heard me talk about John 15, verses 4-5, through which says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I've tried, I've tried in my own strength to be a fruit factory. And it never works. It just never works out. Where I'm like, I just got to produce fruit. I got to produce fruit. I got to produce fruit. And instead, I realize, I wake up and I go, whoa, I'm not abiding in the vine. I need to get back to the vine. And if I abide in the vine, then He will produce fruit through me. You see, God, by His grace, causes those who are rooted in Him to grow in Him. So having seen that an obedient life involves one being rooted in Christ, saved by grace, and that it involves growing in Christ, which is a gift of grace, next we see that a life of of obedience to Christ involves being strengthened by Christ. So we have rooted in Christ, growing in Christ, and then strengthened by Christ. Look back at Colossians 2 verse 7. It says this, Having been firmly rooted, and now being built up, in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Paul says, established in your faith. This is also in the present tense, uh, passive voice, meaning that it is God who is currently establishing 
the Colossian believers. That in the same way as he's growing them, he's establishing them, he's strengthening them. The Greek word translated establish conveys the idea of being made strong or caused to stand firm. See, God is actively causing believers, particularly the believers in Colossae, to stand firm, to hold fast. And I think, here's where I think the New American Standard gets the next part wrong. It says, in your faith. So it says, established, standing firm, being caused to stand firm in your faith. Whereas the King James, the ESV, the NIV, the RSV, and others follow a more literal translation, and they say, in the faith. Caused to stand firm in the faith. Do you see the difference? And it might seem minor, but again, it's important. You see, Paul has already talked about growing in one's personal faith, growing in one's faith personally, growing in holiness, growing in Christ. But now, when he's talking about being strengthened, he's talking about being strengthened in the faith. He uses this term in a similar way in Philippians 1, verse 27. He says, "...only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the faith that he's talking about. He's saying that as these believers grow in their walk with Christ, their personal faith, they will be able to stand firm against the false teachers who are proposing a different kind of faith. A faith that is entirely different. Paul wants them to know that if they are rooted in Christ and growing in Christ, then they are being strengthened by Christ in the faith. He says a similar thing in his letter to Ephesians, to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 14, he says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, right? For those who are being who have been rooted, who have once and for all been rooted for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ, the growing, until we all attain to a unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, right? Until we're growing in maturity to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then he says, as a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He says, having been rooted, God is building up. He's growing His church. And as a result, you'll no longer be tossed about by every uh, wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. And that's what He wants them to know here. He wants them to know that if they are genuine believers if they have been rooted and they are growing, then they are being strengthened to stand firm in the faith. How do I know that uh, I'll wake up tomorrow morning and be a Christian? Because I know that God's going to strengthen me in the faith. I know that if I'm rooted in Him and I'm growing in Him, that it's His work. That it's His work in me. That He's strengthening me. See, Paul is telling those who are genuine believers in Colossae that he knows they will persevere against the assaults of the false teachers and live a life of obedience to Christ. That's why we have this tension in the book of Colossians where he says, persevere, persevere, you must persevere. And he also says, and I know you'll persevere. 
Because he, he wants to make sure that they are genuine believers. That if they're not persevering, if they're not strengthening, if they're not being strengthened, if they're not growing, it's because they're not rooted in Christ. He says if you are rooted, having been rooted, you're being built up, you're growing, and you're being strengthened. He knows they'll persevere against the false teachers if they're genuine believers because God is causing them to be strengthened in the faith that is strengthened by Christ to hold fast to the gospel. Just as he said to Jude, he is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able. Praise God for that. So let's review what we've covered thus far. An obedient life involves, number one, having been once and for all rooted in Christ, rooted in Christ, saved by grace. And an obedient life involves growing in Christ, growing by His grace. And an obedient life involves being strengthened by Christ, holding fast to the gospel, which will happen by grace. He will keep us holding fast to the gospel. But I don't want to end there. Partly because I have ten minutes left. And partly because... And partly because we haven't finished verse 7. We haven't finished the end of verse 7. I don't want you to miss that, right? Colossians 2, verse 7, he says, verses 6 through 7, he has said, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, live an obedient life, having been firmly rooted, and now being built up, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed in the gospel, which is by grace through faith, Right? So walk in Him, just as you were instructed, by grace, through faith. Then He says, and overflowing with gratitude. This is in the active voice. This is our response. And if you say, what does this have to do with anything? So all I have to do as a Christian is nothing? That, uh, that He's the one who saves me? That He's the one who grows me? That He's the one who's going to keep me secure? And I don't have to do anything? Well, yes and no. He is the one who does all those things. And the appropriate response to those things is gratitude. He says, overflowing with gratitude. He's talked about what God has done. You see, our response to His grace should be gratitude. In fact, in the Greek... The words grace and gratitude are the same root word. right? That's why we say grace at mealtime. You ever thought about that? Why we say grace at mealtime? We're showing gratitude. So Paul has said, God has been gracious to save you. God has been gracious to grow you and to sustain you. God is graciously enabling you to, to live an obedient life. And in what seems like a response maybe taken from uh, something Peter would write, Peter tends to do this, just erupt in praise. Paul kind of does the same thing. He says, so your response should be ongoing gratitude and overflowing with gratitude. So here's the line you've all been waiting for. So how do we apply all of this to our lives, both individually and corporately here at Harmony Bible Church? If you're new, you know that means we're almost to the end. How do we apply this to our lives here at Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately? Well, number one, we need to receive Jesus Christ. We need to receive Christ Jesus, who is the Lord, right? That we can't receive Jesus, add Him onto our lives, and go about our own way. That instead, we must receive Christ Jesus, who is the Lord, 
We need to pray that every day we are learning more and more what it means to submit to His Lordship. If we're not struggling in submitting to His Lordship, maybe, just maybe, we never have submitted. We should be constantly convicted of how we need to grow in Him. Not convicted in such a way that we, we feel we're, we're going to face His wrath, but convicted in the way that we, we recognize what He's done for us and what He is doing for us, and that in gratitude we want to submit to His Lordship. See, it's not a must. It's a want to. That if you're firmly rooted, and this is the thing, we need to be firmly rooted. And when you're firmly rooted, you want to submit to His Lordship. So I just beg you, I implore you, receive Christ Jesus who is the Lord. And I don't know who here has and has not truly done so. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say, regardless of where I've been in the past, today is the day that I put a, I put a, a line in the sand and I say, I am submitting to Christ's Lordship. That I need Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. And then number two, we need to continue in Him. Most of us are here probably because we've already done that and because we're struggling. We're, we're working in that. We have received Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We've recognized Jesus for who He is. Now, we need to continue. We need to live a life of obedience. But the good news is, it's not in our strength, but instead by the grace, by grace through faith, knowing that He's the one who's going to do the work in us. That if we are rooted in Christ once and for all, if He has paid our sin debt, if the Gospel has been applied to our lives such that we recognize our sin, we recognize that the penalty of sin is death, and we need a Savior, one who will pay for our sin debt against a holy and righteous God, and one who died on the cross and was, cross and was, raised, on the, was raised from death on the third day, that if we believe that, if we trust in that, if we look to Him as our Lord, that He will grow us. He's faithful to finish the work that He starts. I work in a secular job and I don't always finish the work I start. And I work with a lot of people who don't finish the work they start. God is faithful. He finishes the work that He starts. And maybe, maybe if you're not growing, you've never been rooted. That's not something I can answer. That's something you have to answer. Are you growing? Have you been rooted? Are you rooted in Christ? And, but if you are rooted in Christ, you will grow and you will be strengthened. He will see to it that you hold fast. doesn't mean there aren't times of trial. doesn't mean that there aren't times when we, we look away. But it means that in the end, that we will hold fast to the Gospel because He will continue to draw us, to strengthen us, and to establish us. That we will stand firm because of His work in us. And therefore, therefore, We should overflow with gratitude. The picture is of a river whose banks are overflowing. That the gratitude should just spill out of us. And as I showed last week, we talked about water coming out of the the jug, right? When when we're provoked, what comes up? What's happening? Water's coming out of the bottle. Why? Because there's water in the bottle. Not because it's being provoked. And ultimately, if milk was in the bottle, milk would come out of the bottle. 
And ultimately, gratitude should be in us. We should recognize what Christ has done for us so that as the trials of life come, we respond with gratitude. We're overflowing with gratitude because we recognize His grace. I pray that we do that as a church. That's why I say week after week after week, we must always look to the Gospel. Sunday morning is an opportunity to lift up the name of Christ, to celebrate the Gospel, to recognize what He has done and what He is doing in our lives so that, so that we can remain firmly rooted in it and that we can then respond with gratitude. Gratitude for His grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for the grace that You have given us. God, help us to live in such a way that we could not think of reflecting on Your grace without having a heart of gratitude. God, I praise You for Your work in us. I pray that everyone here is rooted in You. I pray that everyone has once and for all been firmly rooted by receiving Your Son as their Savior and Lord. God, help us to grow in submission to His Lordship. Help us to walk in a way that is worthy of the Gospel. Help us to live an obedient life knowing that if we are firmly rooted, that You will grow us and You will strengthen us and confirm us until the end. God, I praise You for that promise and pray Your blessing upon each one of us today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Harmony Bible Church, visit www.harmonybible.org. God bless, and to God be the glory.